0: This is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network.
1: Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where my beard continues to get thicker and thicker. I am your host, one of your hosts, Tim Kilkenny.
0: Uh, Congratulations on growing facial hair, Tim. From the not-so-sunny climes of the very southern part of Washington, I'm Andrew Hoffman. Well, Andrew...
1: We have to talk about it or else we will uh, it'll it'll be a bright sunny sunny idea hanging over both of our heads that we must talk about anyway so for people who don't know sports fans who don't know people who aren't sports fans we probably should talk about what just happened today and explain our good moods and I will side note that i I told the guys at work that. I would not be shaving, or I would not be trimming my beard uh, until the Seahawks lose a playoff game or win the Super Bowl. All right. So it continues to grow thicker and thicker. Of course, this is the day of the NFC Championship game, which was probably one of the more miraculous comebacks in NFL history. Big day for Seahawks fans.
0: Absolutely. Big day for Packer fans, too, but for a very different reason. Yeah, I actually felt bad for Packer fans. We got some
1: some friends whom we visited a few months ago and uh they were not not thrilled
0: with the outcome. I, I I could not uh did not envy them, I'll say that. Yeah. Well, and I've I've been on both ends of the football spectrum in the past 6 days thanks to Oregon losing the national championship game. So Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's been almost a month since we've both been here on the show, so We've had
1: a, a quick break. Any any updates from uh, down south there you want to give us?
0: What's going on at the Hoffman House? Uh, hopefully, we will be moving this week. Okay. Uh, moving across the bridge to the Oregon side. Oh. And uh, the place that uh, nothing's finalized but is looking good uh, will be a three-mile round-trip commute for me to work. So Round-trip. Round-trip. Wow,
1: that's good. That that even beats my very small commute. That's that's a that is a uh, an accomplishment there. So you just popping over to the Oregon side to, to defeat that sales tax is that the pro, is that the deal here?
0: Well, we already shop on the Oregon side, okay. as does, as do most people. I thought we could evade the um, state income tax by living on the Washington side, but alas, that is not the case.
1: No, so you gotta pay Oregon's income tax, yeah, that's too bad.
0: Well, okay,
1: all right, so that's that's an update from there. Update from over here. I'm still chugging along. I've been doing a lot of research on different phones, Android versus iOS and all that, and I have put those all those stories in their own folder, and we'll get to those at a later date. There is a lot more pressing issues to talk about, starting with we had a bunch of stories in the folder that, uh you know, we kind of accrued over the last couple of weeks of December. And so almost all of those are very interesting stories. We could almost do a whole show based on those. Then we had, uh, of course, our year-end review of the media theater with uh, Dr. Future, which was uh, a really fun episode. And now the year has started off, and we're off and running with the, uh, uh, an air quotes terrorist attack in Paris. Um, and I, I want to just come clean on this one a little bit. I don't know too many facts about this one. I haven't, uh, gotten down to the nitty gritty and tried to see, uh, what the facts are on it. Uh, what I can tell is that as usual, the people who are supposed to have done it would gain absolutely nothing By doing it. (laughs) Um, So that's, you know, obvious red flag number one uh, for a false flag and whatnot. And uh, I'll just, I'll leave it there. Kind of interested to hear what you got, what you brought and uh, go from there.
0: Well, it's um, just making sure we get everybody in line. You know, Canada had their 9-11 moment and now France and England already had theirs with the um, 7-7 bombings. So getting the whole Western world queued up. And yet at the same time, you can't have, uh, you know, national borders that are actually protected or anything like that. So it's a um, kind of two-pronged attack. Terrorists around every corner and... Yet political correctness, all at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah, it seems to be really boiling over in the in the euro, the Euro lands, the Europe a lot more than it is here. Here they they kind of focus on racial tension between blacks and whites, or really whites and anybody. Um, but over there, the
0: tension is a lot more about immigrants and uh, well, just until the the. Uh, Next administration, Tim. Uh, go. What do you mean? Well, I mean, uh, George Bush era. It was all about the terrorists. So that that'll be back. You know, if we get if we get a Jeb Bush or a Romney or whoever. Okay. Okay. So, I. You know, I mean, the narrative. The. The general narrative of uh, be afraid only the government government and uh, the government spending massive amounts of money can protect you. Uh, that part stays the same. It's just different flavors of what exactly the biggest threats are that they're protecting you from.
1: Sure, sure. And uh, you know, just in case you're not sure how scared you should be, we got a color. We got a color uh, code uh, spectrum. You know it can go you know green, yellow, red, and it yeah, red. Th-
0: well they they might bring that back they they got rid of it,
1: they did, but I mean over in the Eurolands, I think they've they've kind of brought <laughs> they it, bring they, that in <laughs> I think they might have brought it back i mean it's uh code red for you know there's just constant fear, you know it's oh, there's a impending terrorist attack, and you know pretty much they just name a place in Europe, and everybody trembles, oh, oh. I wanted to talk real quick about the idea... This, I mean, I have very little uh, thoughts on all this uh, French stuff, but I, I wanted to just touch base with you on the word terrorist. Like, where? Like, when when does that start? Like, some, peop- some of these attacks clearly are terrorists. Uh, the cartoonist attack, where they came in and killed those people. Uh, terrorist is a... <sighs> I, I hate to qualify murderer like that but I, I feel i feel like there's a certain point where they're just like you know
0: well because it terrible it used people to be,
1: <laughs> it used to be there had to be bombs involved for terrorists yeah, yeah. but yeah. now it's like a you can you can you can actually get like a terrorist act just by like threatening a, 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 a an employee or something you know what i mean it's a you can get a terroristic threats isn't actually a uh a thing that can happen, you know, it's, it's something you could be charged with. And and anyway, it just seems like a lot more loose uh, definition of terrorist.
0: Well, because when you're writing laws where the the giant loophole to all civil rights is, except for terrorists, you want to make that that drag, drag net as as wide as possible.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: That makes so as long as you can make everyone a suspected terrorist, then. You're good to go. You don't have any laws, All right. no, no constitutional protections whatsoever. That's right, because they're the bad guys. It's just like militants is right. Anyone able to hold a a gun in Afghanistan? Okay,
1: okay. Hey, I think our bill. I was just thinking about this. The way we should kind of get the story together. You know how we kind of like to end on a high note, or at least a funny note. Let's save those Gates stories for the end, huh? Okay. So, those are good. Uh, I'll let you go. Dealer's Choice, you are the man. You have not been here in a little bit. We have had a little bit of problems getting together. I've been busy. You've been busy. We're finally back on track. We're back on schedule. Go ahead and uh, kick us off with a with a story or a direction.
0: Okay. Um, I kind of have a mm, in roundabout point to make with the... Uh, The Parisian bombings—not a real detailed look at it. Um, So it's Parisian. Good word. I like it. Like like a couple, a couple steps here. All right. Um, Let's go on a trip. This comes from, yes, from the Intercept, FirstLook.org. Okay. Latest FBI claim of. Hmm. Yeah. uh, Disrupted terror plot deserves much scrutiny and skepticism. This is not about the Paris thing. This is about the domestic terrorist here. All right. Uh, The Justice Department on Wednesday issued a press release trumpeting its latest success in disrupting a domestic terror plot, terrorism plot, announcing that the Joint Terrorism Task Force has arrested a Cincinnati area man. You got to watch those people from Cincinnati. Probably a Buckeye fan. A Cincinnati-area man for a plot to attack the U.S. Capitol and kill government officials. A plot? The alleged would-be terrorist is 20-year-old Christopher Cornell, pictured above, who is unemployed, lives at home, spends most of his time playing video games in his bedroom, still addresses his mother as mommy, and regards his cat as his best friend. He was described as a typical student. Uh, sad description of American... Um typical high school students, and quiet but not overly reserved by the principal of a local high school he graduated in 2012. The affidavit filed by an FBI investigative agent alleges Cornell had posted comments and information supportive of ISIS through Twitter accounts. The FBI learned about Cornell from an unnamed informant who, as the FBI put it, began cooperating with the FBI in order to obtain favorable treatment with respect to his criminal exposure on an unrelated case. Um, so, well, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but that's important. So we're taking someone who's actually a criminal, and if he's willing to set someone else up who's just some stupid kid, we're going to let him go. All right. Acting under the FBI's direction, the informant arranged two in-person meetings with Cornell where they allegedly discussed an attack on the Capitol. And the FBI said, dollars to donuts, that it was the uh, the criminal FBI informant that brought that up. The FBI says it arrested Cornell to prevent him from carrying out the attack. Family members say Cornell converted to Islam just six months ago and claimed he began attending a small local mosque. Yet the Cincinnati Enquirer could not find a single person at that mosque who had ever seen him before and noted that a young white recent convert would have been quite conspicuous at a mosque largely, largely populated by immigrants from West, West Africa many of whom speak little or no English. The Department of Justice's press release predictably generated an avalanche of scary media headlines hailing the FBI. CNN, FBI says plot to attack U.S. Capitol was ready to go. MSNBC, U.S. terror plot foiled by FBI arrest of Ohio Man. Wall Street Journal, Ohio Man charged with plotting ISIS-inspired attack on U.S. Capitol. Be afraid, be very afraid. ISIS-inspired. So they don't have to have anything to do with it. Just they—they they inspired it. It should say FBI inspired attack, right?
1: I don't really agree with that.
0: You know, if the FBI is the one who gave him the idea and had someone uh, try to talk him into doing it and gave him money to get a plane ticket, shouldn't shouldn't it be FBI inspired attack? I would think so. FBI funded. <laughs> just as predictably, political officials instantly exploited the news to justify their justify their powers of domestic surveillance. House Speaker John Boehner claimed yesterday that the National Security Agency's snooping powers helped stop a plot to attack the Capitol. Wow, the NSA stopped it now? And that his colleagues need to keep that in mind as they debate whether to renew the law that allows the government to collect bulk information from its citizens. He warned, we live in a dangerous country and we get reminded every week of the dangers that are out there. Yes, we do get reminded of that, don't we, Tim? (laughs) 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 Yes, we do. The known facts from this latest case seem to fit well with the now familiar FBI pattern, whereby the agency does not disrupt planned domestic terror attacks, but rather creates them, then publicly praises itself for stopping its own plots. First, they target a Muslim not due to any evidence of intent or capability to engage in terrorism, but rather for the radical political, political views he expresses. In most cases, the Muslim targeted by the FBI is a very young, uh, late teens, early 20s, adrift, unemployed loner who has shown no signs of mastering basic life functions, let alone carrying out a serious terror attack, and has no known involvement with actual terrorist groups. They then find another Muslim who is highly motivated to help disrupt a terror plot either because they're being paid a substantial sums of money by the FBI, or because, as appears to be the case here, they are charged with some unrelated crime and are desperate to please the FBI in exchange for leniency, or both. The FBI then gives the informant a detailed attack plan and sometimes even the money and other instruments to carry it out, and the informant then uh, then shares all of that with the target. Typically, the informant also induces, lures, cajoles, and persuades the target to agree to carry out the FBI-designed plot. In some instances where the target refuses to go along, they have the informant offer huge cash inducements to the impoverished target. Once they finally get the target to agree, the FBI swoops in at the last minute, arrests the target, issues a press release praising themselves for disrupting a dangerous attack, which it conceived of, funded, and recruited the operatives for, and the Department of Justice and federal judges send their target to prison for years or even decades, where they are kept in special Gitmo-like units. Subservient U.S. courts uphold the charges by applying such a broad and permissive interpretation of entrapment that it could almost never be successfully invoked. As the Associated Press noted last night, defense arguments have repeatedly failed with judges, and the stings have led to many convictions. Consider the truly remarkable, yet not aberrational, 2011 prosecution of James Cromidae, an impoverished African-American Muslim convert who had expressed anti-Semitic views, but at the age of 45 had never evinced any inclination to participate in a violent attack. For eight months, the FBI used an informant, one who was on the hook for another crime and whom the FBI was paying, to try and persuade Cromidi to, to join a terror plot in which the FBI had concocted. And for eight months, he adamantly refused. Only when they dangled the payment of $250,000 in front of him right as he lost his job did he find the assent, causing the FBI to arrest him. The Department of Justice trumpeted the case as a major terrorism arrest, obtained a, prose- obtained a prosecution, and sent him to prison for 25 years. So if you see a WAN ad in a classified section for carrying out a terror attack in exchange for a large sum of money, just know that it's probably the FBI. I'd stay away from that. Alright, the federal judge presiding over his case, Colleen Ma- mcmahon repeatedly lambasted the government for wholly manufacturing the plot when sentencing him to decades in prison she said kermitti was incapable of committing an act of terrorism on his own that it was the fbi which created uh acts of terrorism out of his fantasies of bravado and bigotry and made those fantasies come true she added only the government could have made a terrorist out of mr komati whose buffoonery is positively shakespearean in scope In her written ruling upholding the conviction, Judge Judge McMahon noted that Chromiti had successfully resisted going too far for eight months and agreed only after the government dangled what had to be almost irresistible temptation in front of an impoverished man from uh, what I have come to view as the saddest and most dysfunctional community in the Southern District of New 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 York. It was the FBI's own informant, she wrote, who was the prime mover and instigator of all the criminal activity that occurred. All right. Okay, so we get the idea there. Um, anything you want to add on that, that case, Tim?
1: No, I think you covered it well. Okay. Uh, there was a, a brief clip of his his father being interviewed and his dad kind of saying, like, uh, you know, he recently started hanging out with the FBI, and I believe this is all the informant's idea.
0: Yeah. He, he and he, his dad, by the way, from the sounds of it... Uh, his dad is not like a recent immigrant. No, no, his dad's not whatsoever. an immigrant at all. No. He's sounds old. like
1: He's like eighty years old, actually. Yeah. So um yeah, very strange story to be to be exact. But you know, again it produces the headlines, which is Be afraid and thank goodness for the government, they just stopped
0: another one. And so over to the French one. Mm-hmm. Now obviously um I've not dug into it. I think because some these are very well-known people that were killed, at least a couple of them. Um, so I'm not not inclined to go down the route of crisis actors, people that didn't actually die, all that stuff. Yeah, I, I, just because it's it's way tougher to pull off than actually killing people. Um, but here's a story from Paul Craig Roberts. Paul Craig Roberts. Yes, from Paul Craig Roberts. Ah. Who is he? He's like a conspiracy theorist, right? (laughs) Well, um, he used to be a uh, well-respected financial mind and part of the Reagan government.
1: Then then he had Andrew Hoffman on to be interviewed about his new book, Eugenics Wars. (laughs) No. No. Okay. I figured that was how he lost. He had uh, Dr. Future on?
0: Um, I don't think. Well, he okay. doesn't do his own show. He he gets interviewed on other shows. That's did a he good. do Future Quake? I'm just
1: kidding. No, he didn't. But I was just trying to think of. Are what, you sure he might have? No, I don't think he did. I think he's just try, I was just trying to think of ways that you could lose your credibility, and those those are definitely two ways to do. It. No,
0: I'm. I almost. Are you sure that he was never on Future Quake? I'll search it, but I'm pretty sure.
1: Uh, okay. I, I know that uh that Doctor Future did follow his work a bit though, um. But Paul Craig Roberts has really kind of come come on to the scene here since future quick has been gone now he's always been around but he's been a
0: little bit more he he has moved um just since i've heard interviews with him he was very critical of the economy and stuff but he kind of stay out of other areas yes Yes, he's moved quite you know false and he's now he's just like i'm i'm old i'm crabby I'm sad about this country, and I'm saying what I think is actually I'm not putting true. up
1: with this anymore, so yeah.
0: go ahead. Sorry. Um, so here's this article, which, by the way, I think is pretty mild and reasonable. Suspicions are growing that the French shootings are a false flag operation. I do not know these sites or their credibility. I do know the mainstream media, and it has no credibility. <laughs> and so it links to some other stories about uh, where people are analyzing um, some of the footage and some other, you know, problems of the shooting. Um, in particular, there was footage of someone being killed at close range, but if you slow it down, there's problems with the video as there often is. Um, but all Paul Robert Roberts says is, I do not know these sites or their credibility. I do not know the mainstream media and it has no credibility. Considering the number of real journalists on war fronts, not cartoonists in Paris, killed by Washington-funded and organized ISIS, including film beheadings, the uproar over the cartoonist's deaths has the appearance of orchestration. Whether or not it is a false flag operation, the shootings are being used for a wider purpose or purposes. Among these purposes is bringing France back into Washington's orbit. The French president has recently said that the sanctions against Russia should be terminated. Holland was aligning himself with French economic interests instead of with Washington's hegemonic foreign policy. Another purpose is to stifle the growing European sympathy for the Palestinians and to realign Europe with Israel. Hmm. Another purpose is to counter the rising opposition in Europe to the two more Middle Eastern wars. The American neoconservatives have not completed their agenda. Syria, Iran, Hezbollah, and Saudi Arabia are still standing. And there can be other purposes not apparent to me. My recommendation is that you not believe the print and TV media, but think. The failure of Americans to think is why they are 13 years into war and live in a police state. I think that's kind of common sense and not very conspiracy theoristy to me, right? He's got no particular theory. He's just saying, I don't really buy the, main, the mainstream media narrative. Um, here is who is actually benefiting from this and there could be something else behind it. But Andrew, they found the attacker's, uh, IDs on the scene. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, almost as good as when they found them on the, just when the FBI found them walking down the street in New York city, look at this ID from a, from a terrorist. Who flew their the plane into the the twin towers wrapped up in this red bandana? Wow. Yeah. Um, but the reason I I bring that up is because, um, oh, let's see, this was a this caused a big kerfuffle not because of Paul Craig Roberts saying it directly, but because, um, Ron Paul actually not and I'm sure it's not Ron Paul posting to his own website, but someone posted this to Ron Paul's website. And they probably just have a feed that, that posts everything Paul Craig Roberts, you know, or, or what have you. And um, so this caused an uproar among the, um, I guess you would say, non-conspiracy libertarians. Okay. That group it's always trying to separate themselves and we're not crazy conspiracy theorists. And we can't talk about nine 11 being an inside job because that ruins our credibility. And so they're, you know, just off the hinges about this. And it got picked up as from people trying to, um, look at the crazy Ron Paul. He says, um, you know, the Paris terror attacks weren't, weren't real, that they were a false flag. Well, First of all, no, he didn't. Second of all, it was something posted on his website. And third of all, it's a perfectly reasonable assumption that you're not getting the full truth from the mainstream media about a terror event. No. Um, but I, I just think it's... Anyway, it was a big hole of blue and I, I just thought it was interesting that that little Paul Craig Roberts article could cause such a kerfuffle. Because it was like the um, some big newspapers were pointing that out on the Ron Paul site. Like, why do you care what's posted there? You'd never do any other time, but anyway. Hey, that makes sense to me. I I uh... think, I think what it well what it is is it's uh, preliminary stuff to um, try and discredit Rand Paul down the road. Like, hey, your dad's a crazy. You know, you must. you must say that your dad is a crazy or you you can't get the republican nomination so
1: well i'm pulling for jeb bush so i mean there i I, th- I think we can we can really turn this country around with a little little more bush in the in the
0: uh, in the white house so maybe hillary clinton oh gosh remember those clinton years they were great the economy was great it had nothing to do with the internet being invented nothing whatsoever that was all bill clinton well
1: but hey I mean, even the economic e- genius, even the internet being invented, you know,
0: well, that's a, you know what yep. I'm
1: saying? Like it was within the administration, <laughs> within, the, within the administration. There, there we go. So, I mean, let's, let's not, let's not attribute it all to Bill. I mean, there was, there was other people doing good things. Yep. So but
0: between Bill and Al, um, this is old.
1: But I gotta go to it because it was everywhere, and we didn't talk about it. But
0: actually, Good, I've got, got some—I've got some orange tea that I need to drink. Well, so there you go. You take it. I'll take it. But it's
1: not—it's not that great. And I did talk about it a little bit with uh, with Doctor Future. Uh, no, North Korea didn't hack Sony. The FBI and, and the president may claim that Hermit Kingdom is to blame for the most high-profile network breach in, in forever, but almost all signs point in another direction. The news that the satirical movie, which revolves around a plot under Kim Jong uh, to murder Kim Jong-un, will have a Christmas Day release as planned, will prompt renewed scrutiny of whether the U.S. authorities have officially claimed the cyber attacks on Sony really was the work of an elite group of North Korean hackers. All evidence leads me to believe that the great, that the great Sony Pictures hack of 2014 is far more likely to be the work of a disgruntled employee uh, facing a pink slip. I may be biased, but as the director of security operations for DEFCON, the world's largest hacker conference, and the principal security researcher for Lookout, the world's leading mobile security company, I think I am worth hearing out. The FBI was clear at its press conference about who it believed was responsible for the attack. The FBI now has information to conclude that the North Korean government is responsible for these actions, they said in their December 19th statement before adding, the need to protect sensitive sources and methods precludes us from sharing this information. With that, dis- <laughs> With that disclaimer in mind, let's look at the evidence that the FBI are able to tell us about. first piece of evidence described is an FBI bulletin that refers to malware found while examining the Sony Pictures network after the hack. Technical analysis of the deletion malware used in this attack revealed links to other malware that the FBI knows North Korean actors previously developed. For example, there were similarities in specific lines of code, encryption algorithm, rhythms, data deletion methods, and compromised networks. So, malware found in the course of investigating the Sony hack bears a strong similarity to malware found in other hacks attributed to North Korea. This may be the case, but is it not remotely possible that this, that this evidence... Uh, possible plausible evidence that this attack was therefore orchestrated by north korea the fbi is likely referring to two pieces of malware in particular Shamoon, which targeted companies of oil industry sectors and energy sectors which was discovered in august 2012 and dark soul which was on june 25th 2013 and hit south korea even if these prior attacks were coordinated by north korea and plenty of security experts including me doubt the fact that the same pieces of malware appeared in the Sony hack is far more, far from being convincing evidence that the same hackers were responsible. The source code for the original Shamoon malware is widely known to be uh, to have been leaked. Just two pieces of malware share a common ancestry. Uh, just because two pieces of malware share a common ancestry it obviously doesn't mean that they share a common operator. Increasingly, criminals actually lease their malware from a group that guarantees their malware against detection. Banking malware and certain crimeware kits have been used using these models for years. For the first, so the first bit of evidence is weak, but the second bit of evidence given by the FBI is even more flimsy. The FBI also observed significant overlap between the infrastructure used in this attack and other malicious uh, cyber activity in the US that the U.S. government has previously linked to North Korea. For example, the FBI discovered that several Internet protocol addresses associated with North Korean infrastructure communicated with IP addresses that were hard-coded into the data deletion malware used in this attack. What they're saying is that the internet addresses found after the Sony attack are known addresses that have previously been used by North Korean cyber attacks. To cybersecurity experts, the naivety of this statement beggars belief. Note to the FBI, just because a system with a particular IP address was used for a certain crime doesn't mean that from now on, every time you see that IP address, you can link it to a cyber crime. Plus, while some IPs can be permanent, at other times IPs last just a few seconds. It isn't the IP address that the FBI should be paying attention to, rather it's the server it's it's the server or service that's behind it. As with much of the investigation for f- our information is somewhat limited, the FBI haven't released all the evidence, so we go to the information that is publicly available. Perhaps the most interesting and indeed relevant to this is the C2 command and control addresses found in the software. These addresses were used by whoever carried out the attack. To control the malware and can be found in the malware code itself, and it goes on to
0: list exactly what they are. Well, and if I could jump in there, the default position is for is usually for an IP address not to be static. Exactly. Um, so, if you take so it's it's actually an added like paid service if you want it. Right. And if it's the, usually the reason people get it is they work remotely, so they want to have, both. Basically, both ends of the the network somewhere where they know where they are, so they can have a a virtual uh, private network.
1: Look at you, learn all about the internets and stuff. Yeah, man, you can change your whole IP address (laughs) just by going in your to your you know grabbing your router and uh, grabbing your uh, what is it, modem, and unplugging it all, (laughs) and then plug it all back in. It'll, It'll generally it'll change the IP address, won't it?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, of our, you know, nine thousand customers, I would say, ninety five percent of them don't have a static IP address. Yeah, so it just, just is is pulling addresses from a pool that we have. Um, because they, they don't really matter.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And you know what's crazy? Is uh, 12-year-olds all across the country know that this this could be faked very easily. Because right. anytime anybody ever goes to download illegal content, uh, they use an IP address hider. So is it possible that the hack could, <gasps> gasp, come from somewhere else and then just have used
0: an IP in North Korea? Anyway. This- well, and, and they're not even claiming that it was <laughs> it was an IP in North Korea. It's yeah. just saying like, oh, it's the same IP that was used by a, a, during a different attack that we also blamed on North Korea.
1: <laughs> there, you, there you go.
0: So, I mean, yeah. Usually they're more related to um, service providers. Like we use certain, for the first couple digits of the IP, we use the same couple digits for all of ours um and we know you know other providers in the area what what initial digits they use as well and then the last few don't really matter they're they're just random yeah yeah there is also a um upcoming problem um with providing static IP addresses because they're going to run out in the not terribly distant future really yeah that's interesting so it's kind of discouraged to uh, to pass them out like hotcakes because it it is a, f- a finite resource because they they weren't made um, with enough different combinations. Interesting, interesting. So.
1: Well, and as as though we needed any more proof that the North Korea hack was not from Sony, uh, North Korea leader opened up the year with this one on uh, January first. North Korean leader opened to summit. With the South, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un said in his New Year's speech on Thursday that he is open to more talks with Seoul or even a summit with South Korean counterpart, but stressed North Korea will continue to strengthen its military mode an atmosphere of distrust and tension while trying to diversify its economy and raise the national standard of living, blah, blah, blah. We still need to be scared of the boogeyman that is North Korea.
0: Diversify their economy by bringing in some tourists. There you go. That you is lo- you got lots of Chinese people with money now. That is actually the plan is to,
1: to bring in some tourism. Um It's weird, you know. I, I think I think they do have the issue with the uh secret prisons and whatnot. But uh to more of a modern look at it, it looks like, you know, a lot of that country is just suffering at the hands of the embargo. And not,
0: and it may not even be necessary. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And the um, the Korea, the South Korean president who did the Sunshine Policy, mm-hmm. uh, which was just like basically give them food. Mm-hmm. Um, who was very very popular in South Korea, and I think it, I know I've talked about this on the show before, but. Uh, committed suicide, and I'll put that in quotes, uh, along with the typed suicide note, and um, the method of suicide was um, jumping off a tall cliff with his bodyguard nearby, but unable to stop him, unfortunately. Mm, Very interesting. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. You have to you have to shoot me a link to that so I can read a little more about that one.
0: Yeah, that's it. That was mm, I don't know. What year are we in now? 2015? 2015, Man. can you believe it? Getting old. I know it. Hey. Seven years ago. Are you more. sick? No. Is your
1: wife sick? No. Has she been sick? <laughs> mm mm. How about you? Did you get sick?
0: Uh,
1: no. You I'm... have to be in the minority. Holy cow! So, uh, no,
0: a, a lot of people have been sick. This is. I've been, I've been taking vitamin B twelve complex, vitamin C, and vitamin D.
1: There you go. Flu reaches epidemic status in the U.S. early this season. It's from The Verge. This came came just at the end of the year. The flu has reached epidemic levels in the U.S., marking an earlier-than-usual arrival that follows warnings from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention that this season may be a severe one. The CDC reports that 15 children have already died from the flu this season. Widespread flu activity has also been reported in 36 states, with most of the others showing regional flu activity. The lighter activity is largely in western and non-contiguous states. That the flu has reached epidemic status is not expected. This is a regular part of the flu season, but it has reached epidemic levels somewhat earlier. The last two flu seasons were declared to be epidemics by mid January. This flu leads to deaths, uh, the flu also leads to deaths each year, which is what the agency has to determine uh, epidemic status or uses to determine epidemic status. Earlier this month, the CDC said that. The type of uh, flu virus circulating this year typically leads to a more severe season. On top of that, about half of the viruses the CDC had been finding were drift variants from what this year's vaccine covers, potentially reducing its effectiveness. Vaccination has been found to provide some protection against uh, drifted uh, viruses in the past. CDC directed tom frieden said at the time also vaccination will offer protection against other flu viruses that may become more common later in the season
0: so there you go translation it didn't do. we got the vaccine
1: wrong we got it wrong in a big way and they even released a statement saying that that this year we did not get the flu vaccine right but there's a booster you can get which will help you even better so uh everyone i know who got the flu Uh, Or everyone I know who got the flu shot did get the flu. Right. I. Well, that's
0: how they get it started.
1: uh, I get it out there. I am one in a million this year, man. I went down last year, right about the same time. I went down. Remember the first week of the year with the flu. It was nasty. Uh, But this year, despite my wife and multiple coworkers being sick, I did not
0: contract it somehow. So, I've I've had some coworkers. um, I don't know. I don't think it was the flu necessarily, but. Some of them I had coughs for like two months. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's nasty. Yeah. Definitely a
1: nasty one. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of being sick, uh, person of the year 2014 was Ebola.
0: That was the person of the year? Uh, Ebola Fighters. Oh, Ebola Fighters. Yeah, person of the year. The, the people that that fight people using Ebola?
1: Exactly. Um, no, 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 no. Wait a second, buddy. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. No, I mean the guys who are out there fighting the Ebola. Oh, okay. Who Bill Gates contracts to, to fly out there and jump out of a helicopter to, to fight a flu virus or an Ebola virus and, uh, you know, we're all going to die from Ebola pretty soon because it's spreading like wildfire and,
0: you know. So I I think you, um, I've mentioned my affinity for the show, uh, Shark Tank. Uh-huh. Yeah. Before. Um, recent episode, it might even be the most recent episode. <laughs> These guys get up there and, oh, I, w- I hope I can remember it word for word because it was just, uh, my wife and I both just cracked up laughing, um, he was bragging about the fact that he worked for the Gates Foundation developing drones to distribute vaccines in Africa,
1: yeah, that's a thing.
0: <laughs> I' like, man, you cannot uh if you were trying to impress me, that is not the route I would go, but <laughs>
1: unfortunately, they were not trying to impress you, and you don't have millions of dollars no, I don't I don't so. You know, let's take a look at you and why you don't have millions. That's that's really where we should be starting here.
0: That's not a uh, well. Um, I studied English literature <laughs> and minored in philosophy in college. This is a good start. A good start. Then I got a master's in education, and I'm not a teacher. Mm. So all it it doesn't take a real long time to figure it out. Not at
1: all. Uh, I got couple four i just want to knock a lot of these out because they've just been sitting in our inbox like absolutely forever but this one was a good one this is actually from 2001 so a pretty old story but anybody who's my age your age is going to get a kick out of it and i won't do the whole thing but how about the dare problem or excuse me the dare problem the dare program does not work at all oh it does work though (laughs) Just say no is not an effective anti-drug message, and neither are Barney-style self-esteem mantras. While most Americans won't be stunned by these revelations, they've apparently taken a few D.A.R.E. officials by surprise. According to the New York Times, after years of ignoring stubbornly low success rates, coordinators of the 18-year-old drug abuse-resistant education program are finally coming around to the news that their plan to keep kids off drugs just isn't working. That means a whole new D.A.R.E. program, one which critics hope will sidestep existing pitfalls. An um, ineffective pass, D.A.R.E., which was taught by friendly police. Wait
0: a, se- wait a second. So telling kids about all the different types of drugs and how they're done and how they're used and how they're obtained. Um, and what they and, do. And, and, then, and what they do is didn't turn out to be an effective program.
1: Yeah.
0: And then saying just don't do drugs.
1: Yeah.
0: Don't do these awesome drugs. I mean, don't do the drugs that the government sells. I mean... Don't do drugs.
1: Yeah, exactly. Didn't work. No, didn't work. Didn't work at all. And I think I've told my story where they basically told me that I remember at one point a police officer told me that if you ever do cocaine, you will either become immediately addicted or overdose. There's really only two options for you. And then, you know, I ended up in uh, my younger years trying cocaine and was not addicted or died. And uh, that was kind of when I realized, like, wow. So what else are they lying about? It 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 was a very weird uh, veneer that they put on it that uh, anybody with a little bit of curiosity or just anti-establishment feelings, rebellious feelings, could quickly kind of knock.
0: Well, that's that's it's uh, combined with Hollywood. That's kind of their job too. Like, oh, you rebel against the system by doing drugs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's. That's the answer. And it was brought to you, I think the DARE program started with Ronald Ronald and Reagan at the same time. I ran Contra and bringing in all sorts of drugs. And and Herbert
1: Walker was the old VP who was running the CIA. I mean, I mean, who? Yeah,
0: Poppy (laughs) Bush,
1: exactly. DARE, which was taught by a friendly policeman in 75% of the nation's school districts, has been plagued by image problems from the beginning when it first latched to Nancy Reagan's relentlessly sunny and perversely simplistic just say no campaign the program's goals included teaching kids creative ways to say no while simultaneously boosting their self-esteem which dare founders insist is related to lower rates of drug use it's apparently not a bad way of educating five-year-olds about the dangers of drinking uh cleaning fluid but it's a bust as far as keeping teenagers from smoking pot According to an article published in August 1999 issue of the Journal of Consulting and Clinical Psychology, Dare did not affect teenagers' rate of experimentation with drugs, but also may have actually lowered their self-esteem. The study, called <laughs> called uh, Project Dare, no effects at ten year follow up. Bluntly deconstructs every claim the program makes. More than. One thousand ten year olds enrolled in dare classes were given a survey about drug use and self-esteem, and then a decade later, the same group filled out the same questionnaire. The findings were grim; twenty year olds who had had dare classes were no less likely to have smoked marijuana or cigarettes, drunk alcohol, or used illicit drugs like heroin and cocaine, or caved into peer pressure than kids who had been exposed to dare, who had never been exposed to dare. But that wasn't all, surprisingly, in quotes, the article states dare status in the sixth grade was negatively related to self-esteem issues at 20, indicating that individuals who were exposed to dare in the sixth grade had lower levels of self-esteem 10 years later. Another study, find, another study performed at the University of Illinois suggested uh, some high school students, uh, some high school seniors who'd been in dare classes were more likely to use drugs than their non-dare peers uh we uh, just a quick question because i mean i know I'll, okay, I'll finish this up the weakness in the old dare program at several as uh, several studies suggest was the simplicity of its message and its panic level assertions that drug abuse is everywhere kids program and also lying it was straight up lying can we talk about that <laughs> kids program directors learned don't uh respond well to uh, kids program directors learned don't respond well to hyperbole And both the just say no message and the hysteria implied in the anti-drug rhetoric was pushing students away. It's also possible some researchers speculate that by making drugs seem more prevalent or normal than they actually are, the D.A.R.E. program might have actually pushed kids who are anxious uh, to fit in towards drugs. Trying something new. The new D.A.R.E. curriculum designed with these uh, criticisms in mind is, is is less preachy and more experimental. It also applies to a broader range than the old program, reaching not only kids in the fifth grade but in seventh and ninth grades as well. It hinges on discussion groups rather than lectures and is pointedly does not and pointedly does not say drug abuse is everywhere. a new angle that researchers hope will make kids realize that maybe everyone doesn't do drugs after all unless they're legal. I'm sorry, uh so maybe they don't need to uh program programs like this inhale money, and by introducing a new curriculum, DARE officials guarantee a renewed federal grant, whether the program works or not. Obviously, DARE officials are hoping for the best, but even if programs fail, we can hope for the silver lining. Perhaps the first failure has taught DARE directors a degree of humility. Maybe this time around it won't take them 10 years to recognize failure and plot a new course. I will be holding my breath. And I mean, obviously, we already know that all failed because this story was written in 2001, and I don't know of any DARE programs still going to you.
0: Oh, I—I I don't know. I haven't spent much time well, in public school lately. And that was the thing I wanted to say. I
1: have a sneaking suspicion you weren't even in public school for the Dare program. No. Yeah. No. Which is uh, which turned out well for you. I, I never did drugs. You never did drugs, and that is a that's uh, a it's quite an accomplishment, my friend.
0: Yeah. Well, it's not really, not really an accomplishment. I think it would be an accomplishment if uh, if I'd grown up in public school and been through the Dare program, then it'd be an accomplishment.
1: <laughs> Touche, my good friend. Touche. <laughs> uh, why don't you read one of those two uh, local stories that we got there? Either the FBI created a fake Seattle Times news story to scheme implant software, or Seattle's unbelievable uh, transportation mega project. Uh, whatever that is.
0: Okay, let me see.
1: I think you might like that one. The Transportation Project Disaster. Or as, All right. or as it said here, Fuster Cluck.
0: Alright. Uh, this is from David Roberts. Last week I mentioned in passing that Seattle is in the midst, midst of a full-spectrum transportation Mess. It has since come to my attention that some grist readers are unfamiliar with the mess in question, even though it recently made the New York Times an NPR. This cries out for remedy. A tragicomic infrastructure owned goal like this deserves wider exposure. Perhaps some lessons can be learned, or you can just point and laugh. Ha ha, Seattle, you can say. <laughs> what a mess.
1: Okay, okay, just a quick one. I don't know how many people are familiar with this story out there. I'm sure they'll figure, you know, kind of they'll be able to say, "Ah, oh, I know what he's about to talk about," you know, or not. Do you? Yes. You do know and do you do you know about this this thing that's going on here?
0: Uh yeah, the um the head of W. dot mm-hmm. had some conferences at uh, the hotel I used to work at.
1: Okay. Okay, so you've got you little. I was wondering, I mean, obviously it made NPR and it made the New York Times, but as this person's saying, a lot of people don't know. Uh, it is the talk of the town around here, but uh, I'm interested to hear if, what, what other people do and don't know. So go ahead.
0: Yeah. The epic tale begins with the Alaskan Way Viaduct, a two tiered elevated section of State Highway 99 that runs right through downtown along the city's waterfront, providing a spectacular view of the skyline and Puget Sound. I don't know why Seattle feels the need to run every single highway right through downtown, but they do.
1: Have you okay. ever looked at a map, Andrew? Yes. Do you notice that there is a lake on one side of Seattle, and then a That's Puget true. Sound on the other? There's nowhere Man. else for the highways to go.
0: Well, and I'll tell you what: if you're driving, if you're driving in from the east, yeah, like the drive across that lake is is gorgeous. Oh yeah, it's a
1: gorgeous drive. But I mean, it's Seattle's hopelessly waterlocked. I mean, it's just a... You you can only
0: go north and south, but that's it. Yeah. Anyway. All right. There are two problems with the viaduct. One, it was a stupid idea in the first place, one of the many stupid decisions made during the highway building frenzy of the 50s. It went wildly over budget, didn't solve any of the traffic problems it was supposed to solve, and worst of all, cut Seattle off from its gorgeous waterfront. To get from downtown core to the adjacent waterfront, pedestrians have to walk through a gloomy, gloomy, shaded area beneath the highway, which because it's gloomy and shaded, has been given over to parking lots, a waste of precious urban land. This has left the waterfront isolated, a tourist destination, destination rather than an integrated part of city life. And you can see the fish market where every single football broadcast that has ever visited Seattle has to show them throwing the fish. It's like, yeah, that's the whole city right there. Throwing the fish.
1: By the way, you actually don't want to throw a fish. I don't know. Some of the cooks out there will know this. But you, you're, a fish, the more you move it around before you cook it or whatever, the worse it's going to be. It's, it's going to lose all its firmness. So when Anthony Bourdain was in town, he had to ask, like, what do, why are you guys throwing the You know, you're ruining a beautiful fish. And they said, yeah, yeah, we basically just take one and set it aside. And we're basically just throwing the same fish around all the time. Right. people are
0: yeah. same fish for the cameras. Yeah, for the cameras because people expect it. So yeah. anyway, go ahead. Uh, Second, the highway is on the verge of falling down. In 2001, the Nisqually earthquake damaged it, leading to $14.5 million in emergency repairs. Since then, the viaduct has been settling, i.e. sinking and cracking. In 2007, a group of researchers from the University of Washington concluded that, for safety reasons, the viaduct needed to be shut down within four years. It's coming down in 2012. I'm taking it down. Then Governor Christine Gregoire—oh, she was wonderful— said, that's the timeline. I'm not going to fudge on it. Spoiler alert, it's still up. Um, what to do about the viaduct? There were three basic options. Replace it with the new elevated highway. Replace it, at least part of it that goes through the downtown core, with a giant tunnel that would be covered over to allow downtown to connect with the waterfront. Ding, ding, ding. Don't replace it with the highway at all. In its place, create a walkable waterfront with a modest four-lane street to accommodate the traffic Traffic overflow, add transit upgrades, and street improvements in the surrounding area. Hmm. Sounds like a better idea. But, Andrew, <laughs> that the, one doesn't the, cost very much money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's do the... You could ask Bostonians about the big dig. This is the big dig part, too, but this is worse. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. The third... Surface transit option was the cheapest and most in line with smart green urbanism. Naturally, Seattle VSPs ignored it entirely. Reporter Dominic Holden, who has covered this story better than anyone for Seattle Alt Weekly, The Stranger, but um, has now been lost to BuzzFeed, summarized the situation thusly in 2010.
1: We've read a couple of stories from The Stranger, Dominic, right. Holden, Dominic Holden. While his, you know, some of these guys, while their political views are much different than mine, they do some good writing occasionally.
0: Mm-hmm. They do some actual journalism.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a unique thing.
0: Yeah. Seattle didn't want to replace the viaduct with a tunnel. Voters rejected both a tunnel and a new elevated highway by wide margins in March 2007. A stakeholders group, people representing business and waterfront interests, convened to discuss what they wanted. Representatives from the city, county, and state transportation departments ruled out a tunnel. They elected for a smaller viaduct or surface transit option. The deep bore tunnel was out of the question, in part because the Washington State Department of Transportation said it was too expensive. At a closing meeting of the stakeholders group, uh, Washington State DOT's David Dye made a speech saying, it is out of reach in the current state of affairs to make it happen. He added, it would be disingenuous of me to sit here representing the state to say, geez, you know, let's go build a deep bore tunnel. And guess what they decided to do? The state is now on the verge of building a deep bore tunnel. (sighs) Heh. Turns out most people simply can't fathom getting rid of an urban highway. No matter how many examples to the contrary accumulate, people instinctively think that tearing down a highway means that all the same traffic will just spill onto side streets. So in an unholy alliance, downtown business groups, large companies like Boeing, um, uh, whose interest in Seattle transportation begins and ends with getting commuters through it quickly, the antediluvian (laughs) Washington State Department of Transportation Craven Seattle City Council members, Craven state legislators like Ed Murray, who sponsored the tunnel bill and is now mayor, and head cheerleader Gregoire, bullied the tunnel back onto the agenda, and Seattle voters, sick to death of arguing about it, finally voted in 2011 to allow it to go forward. Oh my goodness, it shows a small bit of the tunnel. (laughs) Um, Most charming is the financial setup. Originally, the state and city were each financially responsible for their part of the project: the state for the tunnel, the city for the sur- surrounding infrastructure, like the new seawall that would need um, be needed to make the tunnel possible. Tunnel cost overruns would be covered by the state. Back to the stranger, because we read um, Tim. We read a story about the the drill running into something, right? Yep. That's, okay. Yep. And I asked that guy from the Department of Transportation about that, mm-hmm. and he's like. Yeah, we got no idea what it is. No idea. They
1: didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I remember I, t- I told you I had a, I took a gal on a test drive whose husband worked down there and said that basically the city had sunk this four-foot uh, cube of, it's basically a pillar, four foot by four foot by however tall of aluminum down there to shore up the seawall. And no one knew about it, or didn't tell each other about it. So this this story, while you know, some people may think, well, why the heck are we reading this story on on the show? It's a, an excellent example of government just running amok, uh, not listening to the people, uh, spending beyond belief, uh, and and this one is going to be bad because it's it's not only not only is the the project that they said uh, the, that that we all voted against moving forward okay but it
0: is going horribly <laughs> i mean bad well, and keep... portland did the portland did uh something similar they needed a tunnel for the stupid uh um oh whatever they call it max line sure and it it went like massive amounts of money over yeah this is and not just gonna I, be and, money and over this is...
1: the, just keep reading this is okay. good. this is good
0: but it, it's like every, even in Yakima, okay, they do it. one stupid underpass. Oh, it's going to take six months, going to cost this much. It took t- two or three years and cost five times as much. And the thing is, why don't you structure bids so that the no, company no. has to absorb the cost of, if they make a lousy bid that's wrong, they eat it, not the city. But no, no one ever does that. All right. But the state screwed Seattle at the last minute. One month after signing the agreement, the legislature passed the the law capping spending and requiring Seattle to pay for all the cost overruns, including all cost overruns on the state's part of what is a state highway project. This is an unprecedented funding arrangement. Someone saw it coming. (laughs) The city taxpayers on the hook for a state highway project. The 2009 tunnel law passed by the city council specifically says Seattle taxpayers will only pay the $937 million they have already offered up. But state law says Seattle taxpayers are on the hook for overruns. Surely this is the kind of high-stakes confusion that state and city leaders would clear up before the digging began. In case the unexpected happened? Spoiler alert, they didn't. (laughs) The grim prelude led many, many people to warn repeatedly in that great volume that Seattle... Was about to get hosed. Here's how Holden started his story on it. You're about to get hosed, Seattle.
1: Hey, and I want to just let everybody know that uh, people are very upset about this issue. So, from the Stranger, even to the the Seattle Times, they're using some questionable language, and Andrew's doing his best to uh, to uh, clean it up. Clean it Keep up. It a PG on the fly.
0: So, good yeah. job, and uh, go ahead. Yeah, read. It. Uh, read Holden's story for details or my long 2010 interview with local activist Carrie Moon, which comprehensively covers the reasons this thing is a bad idea. In short, there is no plan to resolve the dispute over cost overruns, which are ubiquitous on projects like this. They are. They're ubiquitous. At $4.2 billion, it was supposed to cost $937 million. $4.2 billion, it's the most expensive transportation product in state history. The tunnel will have no exits, no ingress or egress throughout the entire downtown core, which makes the support of downtown businesses all the more mystifying. It won't allow transit, only cars. It will be told highly enough by the state's own estimates to drive nearly half its traffic onto the aforementioned side streets. It will be a precarious engineering feat, the widest deep bore tunnel in history, digging right between A, Puget Sound and and B, the oldest part of Seattle with vulnerable buildings and God knows what buried infrastructure. Also, pollution, climate change. Ah, okay, skip this one. Just go to the next okay. one. All right. Uh, yada, yada, yada. One of the people fighting hardest against the tunnel, visionary mayor Mike McGinn, who spent his term in office, warning that exactly what is happening now is going to happen. For his efforts, Seattle voted him out of office. We prefer to hang on to our illusions. Holden's 2010 list of things that might go wrong with the project begin with these. Uh, Number one, the tunnel boring machine gets stuck. Two, our plan to deal with the broken machine is inadequate. Three, the ground caves (laughs) in. Spoiler alert, the machine got stuck, our plan to deal with the machine is a slow motion fiasco, and the ground is caving in. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So the project, Ooh, it shows all the Washington State DOT people. I'll see if I recognize anyone. It's hard to tell. So the project gets underway in 2011, scheduled to be done in late 2015. In July 2013, they bring in Bertha, the largest tunnel boring machine in the world, built specifically for the project by the Hitachi Zosin Corporation. It's an engineering marvel. There's a small-scale replica on the public view in the historic Pioneer Square neighborhood, the very neighborhood Bertha was to dig beneath. The massive machine cranks up and jams its enormous snout into the earth. Tearing fiercely through rock, soil, and seawater, leaving all the world in awestruck wonder, for a minute anyway. Then a thousand feet in, one-tenth of the way through its journey, it grinds to a halt. One thousand feet in. Yeah. No one knows why. For months, it eventually emerges that the machine itself is broken and no one is quite sure how to fix it or how long it will take. What broke it? Turns out Bertha ran into a large steel pipe that was left there by a Washington State Department of Transportation employee in 2002. Yes, DOT <laughs> killed its own machine. It's almost poetic. It says correction twelve sixteen fourteen. The steel pipe casing was left in the ground not by a W, or not by a Washington State Department of Transportation employee, but by a hired contractor. Okay, fine. Also, Seattle Tunnel Partners, which owned, it's not like they do any of their own work anyway. It's all contractors. Um, it says the machine broke down due to overheating. Neither STP nor anyone is sure exactly why or whether the pipe casing is to blame. Funny story, Bertha has no reverse gear. There's no no way to back it up. The repairs have to be done (laughs) uh, in situ, which means W, Washington State Department of Transportation, Seattle Tunnel Partners, has to dig a 120-foot hole to reach the machine. It's pure luck Bertha didn't get stuck beneath the building. If luck is the right word here. Yeah, what do they do if it's beneath a building so that's what construction crews have been doing for the last few weeks digging down to Bertha pumping out salty groundwater as they proceed it's going really well ha, ha ha no of course it isn't instead as water is pumped out the surrounding land has started settling unevenly cracking streets and threatening nearby buildings and the viaduct itself the viaduct has sunk about an inch in the last few weeks is it still safe they say so and I for one can't think of a single reason to doubt what they say <clears throat> Now, 84 feet down, crews have stopped digging. No one knows exactly how dangerous the settling is or how it will be solved. Meanwhile, they have to keep pumping salt water out lest the big hole fill up. Contractors are saying that tunneling will resume next April, pushing completion back into late 2016. But the fact is there's more hope and prayer than prediction. The aforementioned Kerry Moon in a new editorial explains what has to go right for that to happen. Currently, the rescue operation to remove, repair, and reassemble the tunnel boring machine is underway. This is a high wire act in itself. If they succeed in digging the remaining 40 feet of the removal pit without causing Pioneer Square buildings to sink, if they can drive the TBM forward into the pit, if they succeed in removing the front end of the machine and lifting it out of the hole, if they can figure out why it failed, if they can install new seals and a new main bearing and add steel to once again strengthen the machine, and if they can do it all out there in plain air on the side of the road... Then they can reassemble the machine and restart. After that, another if—if, but they can make it the rest of the way without stalling again. Maybe under a building, there's uh, where there's no other way to reach her. If all that comes together, the biggest if of all—if after all the delays and repairs and extra work, the project can still be brought in on budget. Spoiler alert: You're more likely to see salmon sprout wings and fly. Although those GMO salmon, never know. <laughs> Like most megaprojects, the tunnel was sold to voters and city leaders through a rose-tinted fantasy that is already in shambles. But no city or state leader seems willing to reverse course. This is typical. One of the main reasons transportation megaprojects end up being such a nightmare is, is that leaders are terrified of abandoning sunk costs. Has the term <laughs> sunk costs ever been more apropos? They will keep throwing public money down holes even as disasters unfold. Anything is better than admitting a catastrophic mistake. As Holden wrote in a story this July after Bertha stop, but before the sinking started, nobody but nobody is taking responsibility for this omni-mess. Not city council, not Murray, not Gregoire, not the contractors, nobody. Meanwhile, a nasty legal battle with contractors is on the horizon, and Seattle taxpayers are already on the hook for several blocks of new water mains around Pioneer Square. It may only be a taste of what's to come. People are beginning to speak the unspeakable. Um, Washington State Transportation Secretary Lynn Peterson recently acknowledged in a radio interview that there is now a small possibility the tunnel will never be finished uh, prominent Seattle attorney John Ollers, who specializes in construction disputes uh, agrees it is entirely likely that at the end of the day forces will align and, and the once touted project to improve Seattle's waterfront never becomes a reality he wrote in a blog post last month we shows the whole wow Uh, Mayor Murray has not given up, though. Instead, his message is that the tunnel will go forward, but sorry, Seattle might have to cut back on those other waterfront improvements. This now sets lucky Seattleites up for the worst-case scenario, a new tunnel with none of the urban upgrades that were supposed to attend it, a status quo that many billions of dollars later is little better for city residents than what preceded it. But Seattle still has a chance to get out of this. Moon and other activists are now openly calling for the tunnel to be abandoned. There's still time to let it go and revert to the surface transit option, which has already been scoped out and would be about a billion dollars cheaper. Seattle does not need an urban highway any more than San Francisco, San Francisco, Milwaukee, Portland, Vancouver, Madrid, or Seoul needed theirs. They tore theirs down, and the traffic jams did not materialize. Instead, their urban cores became more walkable and pleasant, so they attracted more people, more businesses, and more tax revenue. Cities work best when they. Did- when designed for the people who live in them not the people trying to get through them as quickly as possible still given the uniform incompetence willful delusion and bad faith that have characterized this situation so far such a positive outcome is unlikely city leaders seem determined to keep digging there you go
1: government at work
0: my friend hey you know it's i'm poor but at least i don't work for the government
1: they are they are in the process of not only this one's not just sinking money but the thing that bothers me and bothers a lot of people in seattle is they are jeopardizing one of the most beautiful waterfronts in the country
0: yeah it is
1: and it's and it's you know it's unreal for this giant tunnel i mean we have old buildings buildings that are hundreds of years old down there that are sinking we haven't i don't know if you know but uh you know maybe people out there don't they're just Seattle underground this city at one point was a level a level below where it is now and they built it up a city and started over again because they needed to because of the way that the hill was structured and the way this the city uh that the the sea was coming in and everything and whatnot so you can actually go down there and do a Seattle underground tour and walk around at what was street level like 100 years ago They're taking all of this history, okay, and they're drilling one of the biggest drills in history through it. And it's cracking foundations and sinking buildings down there. And they're pumping out water. Did you catch that? They mentioned it twice in that article. Mm -hmm. They're pumping out seawater. When seawater decides where it's going to go, you're going to have a hard time holding it back. Yeah. And this, I mean, it's just... It's just on and on. And it's, it's a great example of government being absolutely inefficient, ineffective, and unreasonable. Because at this point, somebody needs to stand up and say, we can't do this. this we have to stop. M- millions of dollars are spent flush down the drain. And, of course, you know, the, pe- the politicians don't want to lose uh, credibility. They want to save face. But, I mean, someone needs to step up and say, we got to stop this thing. 'Cause it's 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 a disaster, my friend. A disaster. On top of that, my wife and I were just we burst out laughing. There was an update from city council, I think it was about a month or two ago. I don't know, it was within the last several weeks, maybe a month, but the city there was a city council member who stepped up and got a planner and came in and they talked about that the uh current tunnel project was over seventy five percent done. And she says this with a straight face and begins <laughs> to explain why. And everyone in the place is like shifting in their seats and looking around like, what is she talking about? My wife wow. and I burst out laughing. It was a uh, a good example of, uh, of absolutely inefficient government. So uh, like you said, you know, we should get them to take over the uh, the VA health care. We should get the government to take over, you know, pretty much everything. Because, you know, they, they do know best. They'll keep us safe. If we get them to take over student loans... If we get them to take over education, we can get them to take over uh, the police force, you know, get them to take over transportation. They, they'll fix anything. Fix it all. They're going to fix it all.
0: Yep. Well, early uh, line in Vegas says it's a straight pick'em game for uh, New England versus Seattle.
1: All right. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this up with a couple of more quick ones. Real quick, I promise. All right. But uh, let's
0: see here. Hey, man. Down Abbey's on tonight. Hey. I oh, My wife is... What time? Uh, it's going right now, but that's what a DVR is for.
1: Gotcha. Well, my wife is actually in the other room watching Down Abbey right now as well. So. You ever watched it? Uh, I just watched it a little bit with her uh, because it was on, but, you know, I'm not a, not a huge fan.
0: Well, th- I mean, did you see the early... Yes. Yeah, it's kind of gone downhill a little bit. But... Yeah. Like all shows do, usually.
1: You don't want to miss this, Downton Abbey or not, okay?
0: I, I, don't. So, I don't.
1: Are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's going to take me a second, of course, because I said, are you ready for this? And put myself out there, but here we are. Bill Gates proved once again that he's an amazing secret Santa. 25 year old Reddit user, and did you see this article?
0: Mm-mm.
1: 25 year old Reddit user named Callie was one of more than 212,000 people who participated in this year's Reddit Secret Santa gift exchange. But she's the only one who got a Bill Gates as her Secret Santa. For the second year in a row, the Microsoft co founder participated in the annual Reddit gift exchange, sending Callie a Loki helmet. That was the the pie-in-the-sky wish on her Reddit questionnaire, along with a coffee table book about Africa where she hopes to visit someday. Melinda Melinda and I have been to Africa many times, and I loved it, he wrote in the inscription. I hope you get a chance to visit and check out...
0: How is that Secret Santa? He signed it.
1: Bill Gates. Visit and check that out on your bucket list. Merry Christmas, Bill Gates. Gates also made a donation in Callie's name to... Shot at Life, which provides vaccines to kids in a developing nation. Mm. This also explains the polio virus stuffed animal that he sent. Callie, as you might imagine, was pretty ecstatic about all this. Here's what she wrote on Reddit. I cannot believe it. I am literally shaking right now. I am in shock. Someone get me a blanket. The amazing human being that Bill Gates is. He sent me a Loki helmet, which I have been dying to own ever since the first Thor movie came out. He read my pie in the sky wish and and then fulfilled, excuse me, he read my pie in the sky wish that I filled out in my questionnaire and he fulfilled it. I also got an amazing coffee table book of gorgeous pictures of Africa somewhere I desperately want to go. It's on my bucket list. With an inscription in a giant microbes polio virus stuffed animal. The helmet actually arrived with the horns cracked, but I'm pretty sure I can find a way to fix it. The most important part is. He, he gave al- her a defective helmet. Hold on. Hold on. Just oh. keep it down. Okay. You're, you're missing uh, the most important part. Punchline. It's all in bold. The most important part. He also made a donation in my name to Shot at Life, a great program that provides vaccines for kids in poor countries, which is so amazing. I can't even begin to describe how incredible it makes me feel knowing that he made a donation in my name. I always donate what I can for charities, which is never much because money is always extremely tight. It really makes me glow. Gates included a picture of himself with the card for Callie to prove that it actually was him.
0: Oh yeah, see, because he uh, wouldn't want to miss out on the PR. That's right. It's a good point. I didn't catch that the first time through. But yes, yeah, Secret s- Santa—you're not supposed to know, man.
1: And you heard the other Gates story. I'm sure. Let me uh, let me oh, find was... it. Let me find it for you real quick. Uh, where do you want it from? How about do you want it from USA Today, Alternet, or Huffington Post?
0: Oh, uh, USA Today.
1: Oh, how about Seattle P.I.? Let's do that okay. one instead. We're we're keeping a local flavor. Let's just go with that. There you go. All right. Give
0: me one second here.
1: Uh, it's actually really quick. Uh, Here we go. Bill Gates drinks and lauds water from poop. Someone even Bill... Someone even, oh, even, even Bill Gates... Filling a glass from a tap and taking a sip isn't news, but this tap was attached to a system that had separated the water from feces just minutes before. Gates visited the Janicki Omnipressor in Cedro Willey in November to check out the poop plant. He wrote about it on his blog on Monday. Shocking number of people, at least two billion, use latrines that aren't properly drained, Gates wrote. Others simply defecate out in the open. The waste contaminates drinking water for millions of people with horrific consequences. Diseases caused by poor sanitation kill some 700,000 children each year, but that's not enough. No wait. And they prevent many more from fully developing mentally and physically. If we can develop safe affordable ways to get rid of human waste, we can prevent many of those deaths and help keep children excuse, excuse me, help more children grow up healthy. The toilets and sewage systems we use require massive investments that aren't feasible in developing countries, according to Gates and uh, Dalu Cohn, senior program officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. That we need, what we need in developing com- countries, is, is very is a very simple system, Cone said in the in the video above. That's where the Gates-funded Janik Omni Processor comes in. Actually, the poop goes in, gets processed into clean ash and steam, which turns it. A generator before the steam uh, cleans it into potable water the electricity generates the uh, powers excuse me the electricity generator powers the processor with excess going back into the grid the water tastes as good as any i've had out of a bottle gates wrote and having studied the engineers engineering behind it i would happily drink it every day it's that safe the system is headed for a pilot project in Dakar, senegal later this year if things go well in Senegal, we'll start looking for partners in the developing worlds, Gates wrote. For example, I think it could be a great fit in India where <laughs> lots of entrepreneurs who could own and operate the processors as well as companies with skill to manufacture many of the parts. This is from... Uh, borrow from GeekWire, Geek but there you go. Bill Gates drinking some poop.
0: But don't forget Bill Gates taking the... $0.50 cents from the shopper in line because right. he couldn't find his ice cream coupon. There you go. Don't
1: forget <laughs> that. So we were uh, focused here on the local area for a little while, but a lot going on here. Uh, we'll keep up to date with what's going on in Paris. We are back at it. We are back in tune. We are back on schedule. We will keep up with the news. We will comment on the media, and we will do a show at least once a month. Are, am, I, am I right, Andrew?
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, I may not have internet access next weekend, but maybe, maybe <laughs> guest host, maybe guest host episode, guest host episode. We'll see. We'll see. And this the Sunday after that, it, there might there will be a post Super Bowl show. <laughs> there you go,
1: and on. And tonight, at this moment, at the Hoffman House and to be quite honest, most likely at the Kilkenny House, we're on the Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Alright, thanks for doing the show, Andrew, and uh I guess we'll see you
0: next week. Go Hawks. Go Hawks, go Russell Wilson. Oh, A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at Revelations Radio com. To contact Andrew and Tim or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com com and click on the contact tab or support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at Revelations Radio Network.com and thank you for your support of this podcast. My dad used to go on Sunday mornings to the, uh, to the donut shop, and he would bring back a, a big bunch of donuts, but there would always be a couple of chocolate donuts. i take the chocolate donuts and lick them and put them back in the box.